Welcome again to Language Made Difficult, a mendacious part of the SpecGram podcast. I'm your host, David Peterson. Back again with me in the equipment closet of the John Wilkins Conference Room is men's water polo cap model, Trey Jones. Hey, everybody. To his left is the only man ever to have watched every single episode of Gunsmoke simultaneously, Keith Slater. Great to be with you guys. And joining us live via satellite from a prison in southwest Kazakhstan, Bill Spruill. Hey. And also joining us on the program is linguist and speculative grammarian, Madalena Cruz Ferreira. Welcome, Madalena. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So I was told that this was the most convenient time for you, since you're just completely busy at all the times, and you actually prefer to be up at this hour. Is that true? It's very true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fantastic. As for me, I can still see the sun, and quite frankly, that brings joy to my heart. Love, lovely moonshine here where I am. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's start things off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. To get us going, Mr. Trey Jones. You guys know the drill. We have three language-related items. Two of them are true and one is false. And you guys all have to figure out which is which. And after you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss and assess the point situation. Our theme this time is uh, wild and crazy claims because you guys mm. always like it so much when I say someone has claimed something. Yes. Number one, Soviet linguist Nikolai Marr claimed that almost all languages were Japhetic and thus descended from ancient languages of the Caucasus. Number two, number two, Elizabeth Judd claimed that accidentally eating magic mushrooms led to human consciousness and language. Number three, Allison Arona claimed that the basic word order of a language is correlated with the associated culture's average life expectancy and overall rate of technological progress. All right, who'd like to go first? Um, I would like to go first because I have a question. We're picking the false one? Can I hit him, please? Can I hit him? <laughs> Just a little? <laughs> yes, the false one. All right, now, but here's the thing. I mean, all the claims are ridiculous. So we're trying to say that one of these, the person didn't make this claim, right? That is right. They are all fairly ridiculous. Two of them were insufficiently ridiculous to keep someone from actually claiming them. And so you're trying to find the one that was so ridiculous that no one would actually claim that. Okay, I got it. Okay. All right, I'm going first on this one. The last one, that's one of the true false claims. That one just seems like a no-brainer. You can take any bit of language and say that it correlates directly with progress and art and in general and, and cultural awareness. So that makes sense. Okay, so the third one is true or, or was claimed. Now, the second one, Elizabeth Judd, really? That was what you said? That was what I said. I don't know what Japhetic means or how it's spelled, but I'm going to say that the first one is true because Elizabeth Judd sounds suspiciously like one of the Judd sisters. <laughs> Were they sisters or was one a mother and a daughter? It was a mother-daughter, yeah. But they didn't have any sisters, neither of them? I don't know. So Ashley didn't have an Aunt <laughs> Judd? <laughs> I don't know. There's just too many question marks here. You don't know an awful lot about the Judds. So I'm going to say that, yes, the second false claim was the falsest of all. Okay. Who wants to go next? I'll take a stab at it, I guess. I know that Nikolai Marr claimed something wrong that was different <laughs> from the wrong thing that Lysenko claimed. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was that Marr claimed that was wrong, but this looks wrong enough, so I think number one might be what he actually claimed. Number two... I think I've heard that claim before. It's stuck in my head because that kind of thing does tend to stick in your head. Number three, the one about Allison, what's her name? She may have been thinking about the mythical verb fifth language whose speakers spontaneously combust at age 14. But 
<laughs> that's never actually been documented except for the scorch marks at some of the archaeological digs. So <laughs> since I know the least about number three, going on the principle that if I don't know much about it, it's false, <laughs> I'll say number three is the false. <laughs> well, that's, that's one way to make your decisions, Bill. <laughs> I'm tasting victory. <laughs> that would make it my turn. This is sort of, uh, you know, flip a three-headed coin and uh, three-sided coin and uh, see what you come up with, because who in the world knows? Nikolai Marr, what didn't Nikki claim? Uh, there's really no way to evaluate this other than having actually read Marr, which, of course, I haven't, so I don't know. And Elizabeth Judd and the mushrooms, I guess it would depend on which mushrooms are being discussed here. And once again, I have no idea, so I don't know about that one either. The correlation between language and basic word order and life expectancy, I'm not clear whether this is a direct correlation or an inverse correlation, and that makes it difficult to evaluate also. So I think I'm going to have to go with Nikolai Marr because he's easy to pick on, so this seems to me to be likely the distractor here. So I'm going to go with number one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Madalena? All right. Much as I hate to say this, I think I'll have to agree with David. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking number three, I thought was the easiest one to claim as a true claim. Because as far as I understand, I've heard that you can find any kind of correlation between languages and anything you want. <laughs> number of speakers, physical constitution of the speakers, height at which the speakers live and so on and so forth. I mean, I've, I've heard all sorts of correlations being made in this way. So I think this is probably true. Number three is, is probably true. The, the claim was actually made. Number one, I remember very vaguely hearing somebody with a, a Russian-sounding first name, <laughs> Nikolai, right, mm-hmm. saying something about Japhetic. And the reason it stuck in my mind was that, like David, I had no idea how the word was spelled, and now I've seen it spelled. So I think it has something to do with no Mm. I think that's correct. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? And I remember that then it stuck in my mind. Somebody with a Russian-sounding first name claimed something about Noah's son. (laughs) Right? So I Ah. think this one is true as well. Which leaves number three. This would make more sense to me if uh, the lady in question had claimed that accidentally eating magic mushrooms would lead to human unconsciousness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a Controversial claim. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. So I would have to say that I think number two is a false one, the false claim. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So, David, you also picked number two, right? Yes, I did. Okay. So let's start there. That one's true. What? Number number two is true. (laughs) Yes. Goodness. Goodness. (laughs) Yes, Elizabeth Judd wrote a paper in 1980 called Hallucinogens and the Origin of Language. (laughs) Where was this paper published? Was this in in some kind of science journal? (laughs) (laughs) Was she a biologist? Or was this at the Country Music Awards? <laughs> I'm going to love to read that article. I have to find it. I'm going to love to read it. Magic <laughs> mushrooms. Magic. Yep. Okay. Hmm? So the good news is David doesn't get a point. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, David. I feel, I feel your pain. <laughs> Number one is also true. Yeah. Uh, Nikolai Marr did claim that all languages were Japhetic. He came up with what's called the New Linguistic Doctrine, and it was part of the official Soviet orthodoxy until the end of the 1940s. Huh. He also had this uh, great claim that all languages of the world were descended from a single proto-language, which had consisted of four diffused exclamations, which were Sol, Bear, Yon, and Rosh. 
And uh, those actually appear in the pages of SpecGram every once in a while as well. And that the combinations of those yielded all the words of all attested human languages. Roche. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess the reason that number three seemed so reasonable to everyone except Bill was that I'm not as crazy as these other people, and that was the best I could come up with. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we should have been looking for the one that was really plausible. That's, but that's ridiculous. Anybody can make that claim about anything, you know? <sighs> Elizabeth Judd actually got her paper published. I mean, it wasn't just she was like a crazy person standing on a street corner making this claim. She actually got a paper published you know, with this. Right. And Nikolai Marr was sort of the official Soviet linguist for a long time. Okay, well, listen, if I get a paper published that makes this claim, can I go back and get a point, you know, for me and Madalena? Yes, if you legally change can I, name. Can I go author of the paper? There we go. <laughs> One of you has to legally change your name to Allison Arona, though. That's that's easily done. That's easily okay. done. I, I change my name every Friday. I, Is I Allison I, Arona a real person? No. No, okay. Actually, David could just construct a language in which either his name or Madalena's translated to Allison Arona. <laughs> I thought you could, sounds, David. It sounds likely. It sounds likely. But then you'd have to write the entire paper in that language. He'd do it. Yeah, but then i just translate it to English, because how else would I get yeah. it published in the Journal of Biology? I'm assuming this isn't going to get published in a linguistics journal. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on which one. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us, Madalena. Thank you very much. This was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. Well, we're going to keep going with some language news. But first, we have a word from our sponsor. Secondhand Success offers secondhand books for the busy linguist. Never had time to actually read Chomsky's syntactic structures, but ashamed to admit it? Our roughly used copies of important books come with ready-made underlinings, coffee stains, and torn pages. One look around your office and the tenure review board will assume you've read them all thoroughly. If they didn't ask, then you didn't lie, did you? Contact Secondhand Success for more information. Welcome back. Now for some language news. Many English speakers will have heard of the German language, spoken primarily in Liechtenstein and parts of Minnesota and Manitoba. It's a language that possesses a number of sounds common to English, but believe it or not, those who speak German fluently can't pronounce the English word squirrel. Uh, easy enough for us. Why on earth would it be tough for them? Is it because they're not cool? Break it down for us, Bill. Well, we have this article that claims that it's due to pronunciation characteristics. The, the word squirrel just so interferes with German pronunciation patterns that it, it's kind of a perfect storm of language interference. I think that's all totally wrong, of course, because they're ignoring potential historical explanations for this. We know, for example, that the Germanic tribes in the period around the decline of the Romire poured southwards and westwards from the area of around the south of Denmark and, you know, we're expanding. And this is frequently blamed on silly things like Huns mm. or population pressure or something like that. When really what was obviously going on was that the Sami tribesmen further north in Finland had finally succeeded in training large megafaunal squirrels and had unleashed <laughs> them upon the Germanic to the south. And, of course, they were driving everything before it with their soul-numbing chittering. So this actually most scarred Germanic speakers and the Old English some other groups got over it because they got away faster basically and the Norse speakers never really had too much of a problem because as everybody knows giant Pleistocene squirrels are terrified of the ocean. That was one of the problems the Sami had was getting them across the water channel between Sweden and Denmark but they solved that problem obviously but it left this sort of 
ingrained response to anything referring to those animals, German speakers just don't say it anymore. They use some made-up term. It's kind of like thinking that 11 is bad luck, so you make up a different word for it. (laughs) Does anybody know the word for squirrel in German offhand? I tried to remember it, but I didn't try hard enough. Is it like a Nussesser? Eichhörnchen. Eichhörnchen, that's it. Eichhörnchen, right. Can somebody scroll it on a piece of paper so that I might look upon it? Ah, uh, here we are. Eichhörnchen. Oh my god, that's a terrible word. <laughs> Why isn't this meme uh, English speakers can't pronounce the German word for Eichhörnchen? Well, they can't, well, of course. And that's so, true uh, for a third of German words. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Das Eichhörnchen. Das Eichhörnchen. That's how you do it. Yeah. Oh, spoke. Eich is an oak, right? And I don't know what Hön is. And Hien is a diminutive, so it's a little oak something. <laughs> Maybe it means an acorn. Maybe they're confused. <laughs> wait, oak, Hön, Hien? Oak, Hön. Oak. Wait a minute. Is that the... Okay, I, I have to admit I didn't listen to anything that you just said. That's not first time. Is Eich Hön acorn? Never mind, never mind. Let's move on. No, 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 no. I want to know this now. Okay, now let's look up the German word for acorn. Hand me the dictionary. It is Eichel. Okay, and then we also need to know the German word for a four squirrel, which is a new term that I have not uh, heard of before. So there's the squirrel and the four squirrel, right? And the dire squirrel? Shouldn't it be <laughs> Ur squirrel? Uh, ah, that's the German word. So it's the Ur Eichhörnchen. That's the four squirrel. Well, no, that was the Indo-European one. <laughs> oh my goodness! I... They were commonly found in beech trees, if I recall correctly. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that next we should all probably be trying to pronounce the word "squirrel" as if we were German speakers, right? It is squirrel. That's really, really tough. Actually, if you pretend to be a German speaker and try to pronounce it like like they might, that's tough. The article had a set of instructions for German speakers should try to do. They were actually pretty good. I was surprised. Except they had an U vowel in it. Well, the only thing that was left a little bit to be desired from those instructions in the article, it did break it down step by step. And it said, do this and not this, and now do this. But if they simply can't do it, then it gets, uh, it becomes a little difficult. You know, like V for W, how might they do that if they simply couldn't do the W? That might have been the logic behind using the U vowel because they're getting the rounding on the vowel. Ah. Mm. They're trying to get the rounding onto the vowel. So you get school. <laughs> ah. I wasn't convinced from this article anyway that this is really a phonology issue. I mean, there's lots and lots of explanation here of why there's going to be phonological differences for Germans trying to say the word squirrel. But they haven't proven to me that it's not really a question of something like morphology. So perhaps you can't say squirrel if it's inadequately inflected for case or something like that. <laughs> we could just test this with any other random English word, right? What do you guys think? <laughs> I think it's phonological. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that they're giving bad advice because the advice also talks about what to do on the second syllable. I think squirrel is a monosyllabic word. Oh, no, my isn't. Lord. Are, are you really going to try to do that? Are you really going to try to push that on? Squirrel. <laughs> you grew up in Texas. You know that's a three-syllable word. <laughs> well, maybe that's it. It's because it sounds like something that would get stretched out, so I'm I, I'm hyper-correcting it. I can imagine it being a, a monosyllabic word if there was somebody that was from even deeper Texas than Bill. You know, something, you know, like, oh, oh, squirrel, you know. I'm not from Texas. Let's just say, <laughs> for the time what being. What kind of insult is that? 
that you are from Texas. Goodness. Let's not. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. How about this? Let's compromise. Let's say that I'm from Idaho and you're from Texas. How about that? No, I can say that in Alabama, it is frequently one syllable. It is squirrel. Squirrel. That's squirrel. Right. Squirrel. You just, squirrel. You just said it. It's disyllabic. That was two no, syllables. No, no. Listen, listen. Squirrel. It's a squirrel. <laughs> they actually gave this example in the article. How about the name Carl? Yes. Is that one syllable or two? Two. Okay, so at least you're consistently defective. It's not, it's not, there's nothing defective about it. We're, what are we, French? No, it's disyllabic. <laughs> My goodness. Disyllabic? <laughs> and once you said syllabic, you kind of lost. What? That's the word for it. Disyllabic. No, disyllabic. Who says that? Here's an interesting test on syllable structure, which unfortunately we don't have a native speaker available, but have you guys ever tried uh, ask a Korean or Japanese speaker how many syllables there are in the word splice? <laughs> S-P-L-I-C-E, splice. How many syllables? And you consistently get the same answer. Can you guess how many? Three. Three. No, nope. not yet. It can't be more than that, can it? It's five. It's five. <laughs> and I've, I've done it with multiple speakers, and I always get the answer five. Even oh, good English speakers. Oh, supuraisu. Yeah? Right. Supuraisu. Oh. It's five syllables to any Korean or Japanese speaker. Okay. So then uh, I think that resolves our situation. Carl is at least two syllables. We can at least settle on that. No, you know what else? Fire. That's two syllables. Try to argue that that's a monosyllabic word. Fire. It is in parts of Texas, definitely. Far. Yeah, far. And in, 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 in parts of Alabama, too, I think. Far. far. Yeah. It's not far, though. It's far. Huh. That's Tennessee, isn't it? No. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it could be, but... <laughs> and just and just, to, and just to be, just to double check here, Alabama is located somewhere in North Texas, right? <laughs> no, that's Arkansas. <laughs> I would just point out at this juncture that giant Pleistocene squirrels are much more interesting than any of these explanations. <laughs> no, actually, you, you really brought a vivid image to my mind when you were discussing this invading army of squirrels. It was just amazing what I was imagining. I wish I could share it with you, but it's given me a lot of ideas. So I want to thank you for that. So I was imagining a one-ton squirrel with a guy named Carl in the back. <laughs> With a big torch on fire. Oh, on fire. I was wondering if the word Viking doesn't actually mean squirrel. <laughs> My goodness. Um, uh, if you feel you can master English squirrel, and the German word for 55, by the way, if you're an English speaker, try that one out. It's about time for you to move on to IT Berber. Moving on, we've got another article here that I can see in my crystal ball. Hold on a second. I think I'm losing my mind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it, I got it, I got it. Anyway, English has a number of prepositions. The nerdiest one, claims some guy on the internet, is modulo. What's it mean? Uh, well, I'll give you a very simple example to illustrate. 5 plus 7 equals 1 modulo 11. So, there you have it. Apparently, nerdos and geekerants use this preposition in ordinary, everyday speech. And there are those that find this practice unusual and who have voiced their concerns on the internet. How about that? Trey, want to add to the noise? So, I'm a native speaker of, or fluent speaker of several dialects of both math and computer science, and I use modulo all the time mm. Uh, mm. In, in normal conversation. Could you perhaps tell us what it actually is supposed to, what you think it's supposed to be? <laughs> So the mathematical meaning, David's example was okay, but he should have done it in, in modulo 12 because people actually do that all the time dealing with time and clocks. Yeah. So 
on a 12-hour clock, 10 o'clock plus 4 hours isn't 14 o'clock, it's 2 o'clock. Because 14 modulo 12, you know, if you count around the circle, you get back to 2, right? And so the idea is that it's a metaphorical extension of that, of, of modular arithmetic. 14 modulo 12 means ignore all the 12s and what's left over. <laughs> I did a little bit of corpus linguistics and found my earliest documented use of this, which goes back to 1996, which is when I believe David was still in diapers. Ooh, snap. I hate to be me right now. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a discussion about uh, standard and non-standard languages, with the, I was having with a technical writer friend of mine, and I was trying to make a point that non-standard English dialect is not standard English in the same way that French is not standard English. And I gave a French example, and because my French was rusty, I said, the example, modulo my bad memory, is clearly French. Yeah. And so ignoring the errors caused by my inability to remember French at that point. It was obviously French. And actually, my most recent use, written use, was today in an email to Keith talking about this very podcast. I and noticed that you did that, and I figured you did it on purpose. I did not. Just naturally came <laughs> out. I, right after I typed it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. And I said, I think our listenership, or at least our downloadership, is holding steady, modulo the vagaries of the internet. There's always people who end up clicking on the podcast and don't listen, and we get more or less of those every time. You know, that's sort of a little bit of statistical noise, but if you ignore that, mm. our listenership is holding steady and right slightly. Okay, so for those of us who speak actual English, we would paraphrase that factoring out, right? Ignoring all of the things, yeah. Ignoring. All of the things being equal, yeah. Okay. Except for, yeah. I'm hoping that we're still holding the attention of both of our listeners. <laughs> Plus or minus four. Yeah. Oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> Modulo the one. Uh, no, let's see. Wait, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> this is actually a word that I use all the time. And since really we're just here to tell stories about our past, I can date when I first used the word modulo. And it was when I was in graduate school and there was an undergraduate who was actually older, so he was a returning undergraduate in his 30s, who was a math major who was also interested in linguistics. Well, we were having a meeting of the Constructed Languages Reading Group, which had a membership of three people, including me, only one of whom was actually interested in the topic at hand. But somehow, we started talking about multi-level chess and modular math. And I was like, what the heck is that? And he introduced me to modular math. You know, just the simple stuff like, like I just gave. And it was after that that I actually started using modulo in a sentence because I read it, you know, in a linguistics paper and I thought, oh, that's so cool. I'm sure I'd read it before, but anytime that basically I see a word that I don't know, I just tell my brain, I know what that means, and I ignore it. So I had never remembered ever seeing the word modulo used, you know, <laughs> just in, in discourse. But but then, you know, thereafter, I use it all the time now. And I guarantee, I guarantee that at least 71.2% of the time I'm using it incorrectly. <laughs> it's speakers like me that are going to change the meaning of modulo so that, you know, Absolutely. 50 or 60 years from now, people like Trey aren't even going to recognize it. They're going to get all apoplectic in something like a prescriptivist confessions rant and say, you know, kids don't use the word modulo correctly these days anymore. And it's all because <laughs> of me. Well, do you at least have a consistent wrong meaning? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> so modulo, your use of modulo... <laughs> I would like to point out that any occasion in which a word that was primarily coined or promulgated by computer programmers is picked up and then used in a way that the computer program was faulty is just what, from a linguistic standpoint, as we would call revenge. <laughs> okay, considering what they have done to a number of other words like deprecate. Okay, how's modulo nerdier than pocket? 
Okay, that one I don't know. Can you spell that? P-A-C-E, and it's, it's the Latin word for peace, but you can put it in to say, well, not meaning to offend this theorist, or except for this theorist, I'm going to say this. So, Pake Chomsky, not to offend Chomsky, but... I always I wondered what that is. I think that's even nerdier because it gets italics. My goodness, <laughs> that just sounds fake. I'm probably supposed to say pache or something. Or pace. No. No, it, the pronunciation is either pache or pache, yeah. Well, I always assumed yeah. it was pace, pace, and I didn't know what it meant. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Well, I was going to pipe up for qua, which I thought was just absurdly, uh, not nerdy, but pretentious, I, I think is, is the word we want. And and I think maybe Pake would fall into that category as well. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I remember the first time I encountered Qua, it was, I think, around the same time that I first encountered the word posit, which I also find very pretentious. The sentence that I saw the word Qua in, it was actually art, Qua art. That is about the <laughs> most pretentious you can get. And, and, they were, and they were dead serious, too. Oh, goodness. They always are. Yeah. <laughs> so this brings up the question which Bill just hinted at, and that is, what makes something nerdy in the popular press? I mean, is it because it sounds mathematical? Is it because it's rare? Is it because it was used on a language log? Mm. What qualifies something as nerdy? Math. I think it's the math and computer science usage. Mm -hmm. I like Bill's bit about it coming from computer scientists, but I think it actually came from mathematicians and was their revenge on the computer scientists. <laughs> that would make mm. sense. Yeah. Nerdy's losing some of its bad connotations, and uh, it's coming just to mean sort of technological. Oh, man. I mean, sometimes nerdy is, is even used to mean hip and chic and cool and technological or faux technological. Oh, yeah, something that might be in Modulo's favor, based on what you said, this makes sense. Of those prepositions, the only one that would make a really good name for a bad sci-fi movie villain. That is true. Okay, I mean, you, you could have some guy named Modulo Votangus or something. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's doing bad things. And so that could bring in the whole kind of, you know, it's so bad, it's good kind of thing. <laughs> he would have to have the Ming the Merciless cape and all of that kind of thing. I was totally imagining him looking like Ming the Merciless when you yeah. said that. Yeah. You shall never defeat me, Modulo Votangus. <laughs> <laughs> I shall be Emperor of the Rule. Wait, I, I I think I was trying to say world, moon, and some other word right at the same time there. Man, this is just Squirrel. full of fail. Squirrel. Squirrel. <laughs> First, you shall have to deal with my army of... My army of... My army of... Evil. Oh, just, just release the cyber poodles and get it over with. <laughs> cyber poodles away. Oh, I like this, but yeah, I don't want to drag us too far afield. But um, but it's too late. <laughs> no, I think so. I think nerd still does have some negative connotations. It's geek that has suddenly become the you know the end all and be all. Go to Twitter, find anybody with fewer than a hundred followers, and just look randomly at how they describe themselves in their profiles. If it's a picture. That has a picture of them wearing large black rim glasses like you would have seen in the 1960s. I guarantee you, somewhere in the des description of themselves, they will describe themselves as a geek. That will be their claim to fame. 
but they're actually hipsters. Ah, yes. Is geek becoming the new hipster? There has always been a geographical split on, on geek and nerd, and which is sort of the insult and which is the badge of honor. Dweeb has always been a distant third mm. and is always sure. a bad thing. But that was something that when I went to college, you would have people who would say one of nerd and geek was socially awkward and the other was sort of a, an expert in something. So if you were a bio geek, then you were... Yeah. But it depends on where you live. As I've moved around the country in different places, it can switch. Mm. So I know what you're saying. It was that way when I was in college in New York. But nowadays, I hear nerd as the more positive one more often. Whoa, I think that that is completely off. We have to think about regions in a different way now. So there may be Southern California versus New York versus Washington or whatever. I think that the Internet counts as a different state. I think if you go to the Internet, geek will be the positive one. I think the internet has more states in it than the U.S. does. I disagree entirely. There is but one internet, and <laughs> I am on it. And if you right now are engaging in the internet by listening to me say these words, think about that, listener. That's the one listener that we have. Oh, the other one die. <laughs> I'm not sure. The, the other one stopped listening. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. To give you at least one fluent English example of, of the word modulo, this segment on modulo has just started. Modulo, however much time this just took. Yeah, think about it. Up next, our elusive fourth segment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Learn to speak Swadesh in 100 easy lessons. Hey, grad students, we're talking to you. Do you need a research language that will also help you to fulfill a fieldwork requirement? Specgram is delighted to recommend to you the newest offering from our friends at Panini Press. Learn to speak Swadesh in 100 easy lessons. Swadesh is an indispensable and supremely easy language which will open doors for you in nearly any fieldwork situation. Just 100 lessons will have you speaking Swadesh fluently. Order your copy now. Start learning Swadesh right away. And we're back at it. The curtains have been drawn and the lights dimmed. It's time once again for prescriptivist confessions. Annoying prescriptivist leanings that we as linguists are supposed to eschew, but secretly espouse. Who wants to go first? Me, me, me. I am literally sick of people using the word literally when they don't mean literally. Speak on, brother. I was just literally starving, people will say, when, <laughs> you know, they ate recently. I just, I've had enough of it. I'm literally sick of it. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's literally the first time I've ever heard anybody complain about that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you guys know, that's not just not right. You can't talk that way. Yeah. Not in English. Maybe some language, you know, but... I completely agree with you, but then when you when you step back and actually do some linguistics, you realize that this is what happened with really, mm. right? Uh, well, many good words have gone this way. Yeah. Verily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one went so far, it fell off the cliff. Um, <laughs> it drives me bonkers, too, but I know that it's, it's inevitable, and it's going to join really and truly, and it's going to be sad. Uh, you know what's yeah. also going to be sad? I want you to prepare yourselves for this. When literally becomes first pronounced like that, and second spelled L-I-T-R-E-A-L-L-Y. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The, the poetic possibilities. Yeah. It's really, literally. Yeah. Came quite literally, right. really literal. 
Literally. <laughs> the interesting thing, of course, is to predict what word will do this next after literally comes to just mean really. What's the next replacement going to be? Like, I'm computationally sick of this. <laughs> uh, no one who knows anything about computation would use that because computation. This is not about computation. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> uh, gosh, what, what would be a good one? Actually, I could <laughs> Well, funny one would be statistically. <laughs> Statistically, I'm statistically sick of that. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, speaking of which, let me just take a brief sidebar to tell you about a word that I had a lot of problems with as a child in watching the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon. The word "precisely," I thought it meant approximately mm. or kind of. It does in political discourse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's so it does. on the real Ghostbusters that you could be confused. You know, I would follow the plot along. I just thought that Egon, you know, when he was giving his pronouncements or his predictions about what was going to happen or what the problem was, was trying to hedge his bets. Okay. He didn't want to come out and say that it was definitely this way. So he was using a word instead of just saying, you know, it is X. He was saying it is precisely X. And I thought, well, why would he be using that word? It must mean he's trying to hedge himself. See, I was I was doing some Gricean stuff there. <laughs> and I came to a plausible conclusion. It just was the wrong one. It makes sense because you haven't gotten to the part where you can precisely say anything. You're in the, like, it's precisely. Right. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then post sizely would be later on. Uh, post size, there's absolutely no question about it. So, anyway, thank you for sharing with us, Brother Keith. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. Being a mathematician and computer science type guy, I hate it when people say things that they get the polarity reversal on what they're saying. So, of course, one example is I could care less. Mm. When, you know, if you take that literally, <laughs> really, truly, um, <laughs> it seems like it means you, you don't care the least amount, right? You could care a little bit less if you tried. Precisely. It's not nearly as insulting as, as you intended. But I've almost come to terms with that because it's, I mean, obviously people are using it as an idiom and, you know, it doesn't doesn't really have its literal meaning there. But another one of these polarity reversals is when you ask someone, do you mind if I do X? And they say, sure, right? Indicating right. in a literal interpretation that they do in fact mind. But, you know, the pragmatics are clear because they have a smile on their face. And But the logic is totally backwards and wrong. And that just, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me every time. <laughs> is that one of the ones where in a language like French, you could respond C or in German, doch? Oh, maybe. You familiar with these words? The French, yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering if that so. would count. Even though there's no negative polarity item in there, it's kind of like mind is itself somewhat negative. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. So if you want to really get on my nerves, when I ask you if you mind if I do something, you should say, sure, I could care less. <laughs> but if I hit you, it's your fault. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Brother Trey. All right, so I'm going to go next here. I would like to venture into the realm of typography. And this is actually kind of a tangled one. So please bear with me and follow along. Back in the olden days, before the days of our modern word processors, it was considered appropriate to put two spaces after a term terminal punctuation mark, either a period or an exclamation point or a question mark. Prescriptively, this is what you were supposed to do. It then drove me absolutely up a wall to see people in typeset put only a single space after terminal punctuation. I would tear my hair out and say, you know, ah, you're supposed to put two spaces after that. How are we going to know if it's the end of a sentence? It could just be an abbreviation. And it could very well. 
Then this happened. Modern word processors kind of caught up with the way that we typed, and they fixed it so that it would now automatically put a little bit extra space in there after a terminal punctuation. It would space things out appropriately, and as a result, you no longer had to put in two spaces after terminal punctuation. Well, I said, you know, to that, whatever. I'm still going to do it the way I want to do it. Then I discovered the truly terrible part. If you're using some sort of an online kind of a, a software thing, it has recognition in it so that if you put two spaces after a terminal punctuation, it interprets the second space not merely as a space, but as a Unicode character. So it treats it as a Unicode character space. As a result, if you put something up and you put two spaces after a terminal punctuation, you put it up on the web, and let's say your new sentence starts on the first line, and you've included the second space, you've included it, it will actually begin with a space as opposed to at the beginning of a line. As a result, I have come full circle and despise it when people still insist to put two spaces after a terminal punctuation. It drives me out of my mind, and I see it all the time. I'm not sure what line I have fallen on, whether this is prescriptivist or descriptivist. I have no idea. All I know is that <laughs> I am intensely bothered and I needed to share it. I think you are entirely correct to be bothered by this. Good. Though a lot of your technical information is slightly wrong. <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. But you're bothered for the wrong reasons, but bothered nonetheless. Modern um, word processors don't actually add a larger space after terminal punctuation. Oh, okay. The difference is that typewriters are monospaced, so every letter is the same width. Yes, that's And it, it makes it harder to see the space because all the letters are equally fat. Right. You know, now with, with what you consider like normal form. fonts and books and stuff, you know, the right. letters are different widths. And so you don't need the two spaces for the visual recognition of the terminal punctuation. And the, the Unicode character is technically called a non-breaking space. I call it a nibs. <laughs> the thing is, usually that's bad Microsoft products that do that. That's It's everything now. It's everything. Anything that has a front end, I should say. So like WordPress or really? LiveJournal, Twitter, anything that has a front end will automatically do this. And so as a result, you see, uh, as blogs especially, you see these misspaced lines all over the place. It's just, it grates on one. I thank you for allowing me to share. Uh, shall we move on to Brother Bill? If I understand correctly, this is an exercise in railing against things we know it is stupid to rail against. We're not Don Quixote tilting against a windmill because we think it's a giant. Instead, we're tilting against the windmill because we had some bad Gouda once. <laughs> and in, in that kind of spirit, I would like to totally ridiculously rail against the spelling of the short form for microphone as M-I-C. Mm. I cannot see that without thinking of somebody sitting there self-consciously posing in a beatnik outfit with the little <laughs> beret. And I don't want to cooperate. That should be Nick if you spell it that way. Go ahead. Put, put M-I-K-E with a lowercase m on it. It fits the orthographic rules of the English. It, uh, you know, importantly, it does not annoy me. <laughs> it honestly would not take that much work. 
one extra letter isn't really going to take that much effort to hit. Okay, so let me ask you, Bill. Would you accept as a compromise the spelling M-I-C-H-E? No. Okay, not at all. How would you pronounce that if that were if you saw that word in English? Mish. Mish. Mish? Wow. You, you know what it is? It's clearly an abbreviation of microfiche. Oh. <laughs> that makes sense. That's that makes cool. sense. It's yeah, a man. Blend. Just yeah. check it on the mish. Sounds well, like we don't need up. that word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, actually what it reminded me of was uh, the relationship between meme and meme. So if you have a niche market, then a mish market or a mish market would be a niche market for meme. Like memes on t-shirts. That's your mish. Mm. <laughs> or, or no, even better. Your mish is the types of memes that you enjoy. That's your mish. Okay. That would have to be spelled with two, with well, with, with an E. Uh, maybe, but I think that we have enough of a similarity with niche or niche, however you pronounce it, that we wouldn't need the E. Hmm. I think it could work. Uh, we'll leave it to the internet to decide. No, this uh, is heading straight back to having the little beret on. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose so. Now, how about this? This is something I always wonder about. Now that we have the abbreviation Mike, we take that and we've turned it into a verb. So you can be miking somebody, you can mm-hmm. mic them up, and somebody can be miked up. How would you spell miking and miked? This is something I was going to get to. There are these places where English orthography just sort of breaks down. Yeah. And this is a case. And one of the stop gaps that I don't like, but I accept because it's useful, is to stick an apostrophe mm. in there mm-hmm. to, to indicate there's like a morpheme boundary or something. You see it when you have initialisms that are then like pluralized. Uh, so like an RA and a dorm, you talk about the RAs, and it's not wrong right. to put an apostrophe S on there as the plural because mm-hmm. otherwise it looks like Ras or Ras or something. Yeah. And in software development, uh, and I'm sure other things too, but you talk about QA, quality assurance, and that's a verb. You QA something, and so you say it's been QA'd. Yeah. And Q-A-E-D with the uppercase Q and A and the lowercase E-D just mm-hmm. looks so weird. And I've seen QA apostrophe D and QA apostrophe E-D. Wow. And mm-hmm. I don't like them, but I dislike them less than without. And so I would put mics with a I would either go Bill's way and spell it M I K E D or put an apostrophe D on the end. What do you think, Bill? Uh I would probably say it was Moken. <laughs> 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 With an OA and a K, Mokan, yeah, that's it. Oh, man. It's a ger- the Germanic. Yes, and then you could say yeah. that somebody has been gemocht. Gemocht, that's right. <laughs> no, it's just he was he was well Mokan. <laughs> uh, you could say it was Mokan up. <laughs> oh, man, this is for a modern Chaucer. I love this. Man. No, no, it's just Oblout doesn't get out often enough. I mean, we, <laughs> we need to use it. Yeah. We do. I agree. Shall we consider the matter resolved that we, in our own personal lives, will try to increase our usage of Oblout? Sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> Splendid. All right, then. Well, thank you for listening to our confessions. Uh, for our sins, we shall each of us say four Hallie Chomskys and seven our phonemes. So it is said. So that's all the time we have on Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we update you on an ongoing copyright infringement lawsuit against all makers of spectrographic analysis diagramming software. Thanks for listening. And joining us live via satellite from a prison in Southwest Cast. <laughs> What have you got against science? Like everything. I just hate it. No. No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't keep that up. Wow. <laughs>
That was an incredible set of noises. I'm glad that we got them all, you know, on record. So it's kind of like two fluff articles and then two fluff articles. <laughs> I'm Modulo Votangus. <laughs> Remember, Bill, we have you in our hearts. <laughs> We're pulling for you. My brain is fried. <laughs>